Good morning, everyone. So today it will take two and a half hours to finish the sermon because it's 41 verses. This is probably the longest scripture that I have ever preached in my life. So hopefully you'll be blessed by the message today. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much that I get to preach today because preaching and teachings are the privilege that you have given to me. Father, please use me as your vessel so that I can share the things that you have teach me during the sermon preparation. And you have blessed me and I, I hope that it will also be the blessing for all the people who will hear it today. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So every other Friday, I go to see my chiropractor. And I usually close my eyes during the session because sometimes it's not very comfortable. So once my chiropractor steps the last needle on my body, she turns off the light and I will feel total darkness for 30 minutes. Then Sharon, her assistant, will come in to take all the needles out but the first thing she will always say, Ruth, do you need a cloth to cover your eyes? Because it will be super bright. I always say, no, I'm fine. And when the light was turned on, I could see and sense the, the, the sudden brightness that comes through the skin of my eyelids, sneaking into my eyes, even though they are tightly closed. Honestly, it's just a bit uncomfortable but not too bad. So that's probably the same feeling that most blind people see or experience. Because I didn't know how they feel. I never asked them, you know. So let us watch What Do Blind People See by Thomas, Tommy Edison, the blind film critique. People online have been asking me, what do blind people see? What? People have asked me this my entire life. They always want to know, what do you see? What, like, you must see something. You have to see something. No, I don't see anything. And that's a five hour conversation. <laughs> Sighted people often talk about seeing, like, well, then you must see black. Well, no, because you have to see to know what black is, right? So, therefore, I can't see black. It's just nothing. I don't, like, I don't have a color with it. When you guys can't see anything, that's what you see. But for me, it's not like that. All I see is light or dark. That's it. I mean, the, the presence or the absence of light in a room or in a space. That's all I can distinguish. That's it. There are no shapes. There are no shadows. But if there were shapes and stuff, it'd be great. <laughs> My shins and knees would be so grateful. Holy mackerel. <laughs> it'd be awesome. So if I walk into a room during the day, I can sort of tell, you know, like if the sun's coming through, like walking through the lobby at work, I can really get a sense of the sun because I can pick it up, you know, and it's pouring through this window, you know, in the front of the building. It's great. And you know what? Perhaps I can feel the heat from it a little bit too. I, ah, that's nuts. I don't. But it's just, I can see this light. Just that there's a light source, I think is the best way to put it. 
it's like a sound in a room almost, right? If there's like a whir or something in a room, you can find that sound. So if there's a light source, you know, like the sun coming through that window, I can tell. You guys can see all the differences in the different types of light, but I can just tell that there is light. It's not soft or hard or white or blue or whatever or whatever. This does, it's a really hard thing to get your head around. See, that would be like me trying to get my head around seeing. I do, I walk into stuff all the time. That's part of the hat. So Tommy explained that most blind people could sense the presence or the absence of light in a room or in a space. However, they cannot see any shapes or shadows. They can only see the light source. They cannot see the differences of light, but they can tell there is light. And then according to what I read, the number of people with no light perception is unknown, but it is estimated to be less than 10% of totally blind individuals. And then once I read it here, I'm just like, hmm, probably next time I need to preach on disability from the perspective of the Bible. But today we are going to see the life of a blind man from the perspective of several people who encountered him and also from his own perspective. I don't know if he was totally blind or could perceive light. One thing I know for sure is that everyone knew he was a blind man. Jesus and his disciples were there when they saw a blind man. Now let us read from chapter 9, John chapter 9, verse 1 to 2. As he went along, he saw, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples immediately asked Jesus if the blind man's sins or his parents' sin had caused him to be born blind. It was normal for the first century Jews to have that kind of judgment because a disability implied some antenatal sin either on the part of the parents or the unborn child. Most people today don't have the same prejudice towards people with disability. We don't believe that a kid born with a disability must have sinned against God. To us, that is crazy. However, we have a lot of different perspective when we see some groups of people in our lives, even though we don't say anything out loud. For instance, when you see homeless people, what's the first thing comes to your mind? Would you think that they probably are drug users, a bunch of lazy people, or people with mental problems? Or they were just unlucky, losing their jobs and becoming unemployed, and then getting evicted by the landlord? I had to do that two times, you know, to put just like, you have to move out in 10 days. We all have our own perspective in our minds. And then when you see a transgender person, do you say to yourself, oh my, that's so sad, or that's so wrong? Or do you shrug your shoulders and move on with your life, or were you curious what that person experiences in daily life? Our perception of things or people can be influenced by the norms of our society, our moral standards, and the beliefs of the majority of the people around us. 
we can also be influenced by our religion, of course. And then a week after Kyle and got, I got married, I finally moved into his condo near Chisholm Park in Capitol Hill. It was an eye-opening experience for me, especially when I went to the local King Supers that has the nickname Queen Supers, and just walking through Chisholm Park was an interesting experience. The way people dress themselves and their lifestyles are totally different than mine. The smell is also different. One time I made a comment to Kyle when we walk around our neighborhood. What is that smell? Kyle looked at me like I was from different planet. He said, that's weed. Weed? Of course. I never smelled weed before because in my country, Indonesia, people who use, own, or distribute weed will receive severe punishment ranging from many years to life in prison or even the death penalty. When Kyle first visit, visited Indonesia, my brother called me, please ask uh, Kyle not to bring weed, okay? It is legal in Colorado, not in Indonesia. Not saying that he's using it, but he's just like, okay, don't, you know, don't bring it, otherwise he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. So it's different, okay? Sisman Park is definitely different than Littleton, the first place I lived when I moved to Colorado 17 years ago, and also quite different than Indonesia. Sisman Park is kind of known as the gay park in Denver, and many of the residents in the surrounding area are LGBTQ, and it also two blocks from East Colfax. So I felt like a super minority when I lived in Sisman Park and not because I'm Asian. And then I wonder what the disciples would think if they walk around the Chisholm Park with Jesus or wandering around downtown on the way to the Rockies game when they see a lot of tents with homeless people. What kind of interesting questions would pop up from the lips? What kind of perspective would they have? What kind of perspective would you have? And then from the disciples' perspective, the blind man or his parents were sinners. From verse 3, neither this man nor his parents seen. That's according to Jesus' perspective, said Jesus. But this happened so the works of God must be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus rejected both options and emphasized that this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. What? You know, does it mean God brought suffering to this man so that he might glorify himself in his healings? While sound theology, theology cannot doubt God's sovereignty to do as he pleases, and then thoughtful Christians may see this as a cruel fate in which God inflicts pain on people simply to glorify himself. The purpose clause so that the works of God should actually be translated as neither this man nor his parents sin, God. But so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me while it is still day. So putting the punctuation 
and the comma at different places would change the meaning entirely. The purpose clause now explained that Jesus must work so that God's word may be displayed in this man's life. God had not made the man blind in order to show his glory. Rather, God has sent Jesus to do works of healings in order to show his glory. Okay, so that's different. Jesus did not focus on whether or not the blind man was a sinner or his parents were sinners. Jesus focused on the need of the blind man to receive healing so he did not need to live in literal darkness and that he could see again. So going back to the blind man, I wonder if he listened to the conversation that the disciples and Jesus had. I believe through all of his life, people must have told him again and again that his parents might have done something wrong or he must have sinned against God since he was in the womb. How could a baby sin against God when he was in the womb? Except of the kicking, you know? The blind man whose name was not mentioned lived in the darkness, but he also lived in the darkness of a society that could not or would not accept him. Everyone in his time saw him as a sinner. And then finally, this Jesus person said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Wow, what a refreshing moment for this blind man. He never heard that before. I believe he must be speechless and as well because for the first time, he did not feel the blame. He probably could not grasp the concept when Jesus said he was the light of the world because everything happened so fast and all of a sudden, he could hear the motion of someone who just talked and spit on the ground and it sounds like the person is making something and all of a sudden, something nasty, which was the combination of mud and saliva was being put in his eyes and he was instructed to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He went and washed and abracadabra, he could see. <laughs> Jesus saw the need of this blind man. He saw the need of the Samaritan woman by the well. Jesus saw the need of Jacques on the top of sycamore tree. Jesus sees your needs and my needs when we are face to face with him. His approach is to see through our needs first beyond our sins. When was the last time you had that facing Jesus moment and said, I need you, God? When we see a person who is struggling with your sexual identity, with homelessness, with addiction, with mental health or physical health, or relationship with other people, what do we really see and feel? Do we list every single mistake that they have done and look at them with judgmental eyes? Or do we try to separate ourselves and try to disassociate ourselves from them so that we don't need to have anything to do with them? Because it's going to take a long time to deal with. Or do we pray to God so that we can also see what Jesus saw from this blind man? I'm not asking you to have a savior complex so to save every single person that you encounter. I'm sure in our life, we must have 
one or two people who are struggling and they need an encounter with Jesus through you and me so that they can receive love and compassion and not feel isolated by society. So interestingly, Jesus sent the blind man to the pool of Siloam, and Siloam also means sand. So Jesus sent to the pool that sand. Jesus was sent to this world, and he saw our needs. So we can also see and experience him so that we don't need to live in our own darkness. And likewise, Jesus also sent us to this world so that we can be his witnesses. Unfortunately, oftentimes we are like the neighbors of the blind man. So we are going to see the perspective from the neighbor. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. And how in the world? The neighbor is not 100% positive that the person who regained his sight was the same blind man who was their neighbor. I understand if it is in Highland Ranch, you know, we don't know anyone here. Especially considering the blind man was probably a 30-year-old man living in the same neighborhood since he was born. In a very communal world more than 2,000 years ago, the only reason his neighbors did not pay attention to him and were not so sure that he was indeed their neighbor was they might only identify him as a beggar because they didn't want to associate with the blind man or did not bother to get to know him. The only thing that stirred their curiosity was because the blind man who now had the ability to see, they were not interested in this blind man in particular. They were only interested in the miracle that happened to him and the person who caused the miracle. And verse 10, but he himself, himself insisted, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it my, on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. He asked. He said, so as a church whose name is Connections, I really hope that we are the church that wants to make connection with one another instead of being indifferent. My hope is that whenever newcomers come to our church, which we have a lot of newcomers today, okay, so we hope that they will feel very welcome today and that they can feel the love and see how God unites us even though we do not necessarily look the same or we do not necessarily have the same ideology in politics. I hope our church will never break up because some of us are red or blue or in the middle. Last Sunday at our Young Adults Fellowship, to be honest, I was amazed and touched to see the works of God in the life of our young adults. And then Grace was the only person who was born in the USA. 
There are people from Brazil, Ukraine, China, Canada, Indonesia, and a Korean who grew up in Argentina. A lot of churches are intentionally trying to be a multicultural church. But our church has been blessed and became a multicultural church naturally. So where am I going with this? I just hope we are not like the neighbors of the blind man who were indifferent and did not care about him at all. We hope all the people who come and consider connections to the church are willing to greet and try to connect with at least one person every Sunday and get to know the person better, regardless of the differences that we have. I'm glad that, you know, I see from here, everyone can sit whenever they want and there's no segregation here. You know, there is no seat just for the Brazilian or the Asian or American or Dutch, you know. We all spread out. We are here because of God's word. And whenever I introduce our church, I can probably say our church is very unique. We have people from lots of different backgrounds here and we actually like one another. Actually, a lot of church, we don't like one another. You know, everyone just like come to church and then they just pretend they like one another. Then it is not a marketing slogan that we are multicultural church but sharing the grace and provision that God has given to us. And then I can feel that we care for one another. Everyone cares for one another in their own unique way. So when I visited Joyce a couple months ago, she asked why so-and-so had not been coming and who is so-and-so who sits at a certain place. People would come to me and ask for other people's name so that they can get to know one another. They ask because they care. And Benny asked me when she and the Brazilian families could prepare lunch for us after church, just like what we did for the Chinese New Year. They want to share their food because they care. You know, we are looking forward to it in April. So I pray that the spirit of the neighbors, of the blind man who were indifferent, will never be the spirit of this church. But we can be known as the church who connects with God and one another. And from the perspective of the Pharisees, verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees say, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Instead of celebrating with a man who had gained his sight, the Pharisees decided it was totally wrong to heal the blind man on Sabbath because it violated the law. They did not believe that a miracle had happened to the blind man who could now see. 
They kept asking the blind man and even brought his parents in for interrogation. Even so, the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees still did not believe. They insulted the blind man by saying that he had followed a sinner who violated the law and proudly say they were disciples of Moses. And then when I read the remainder of chapter 9 and saw how the Jewish leaders and Pharisees treated that blind man, I paused. I learned a lot about the words of God from seminary training and all of my Bible study preparations over the years. I love the words of God and, I'll, and I can also relate to the Pharisees as the people who love God's words and the people who wanted to follow the rules. I also love following the rules, you know. My sister once told me when we were in high school, she would never want to live with me because I had so many rules. It really made her tired. So yesterday, she just arrived in Taiwan and then she made something stupid and then she looked at my younger sister and then my younger, si my younger sister made the comment, I'm not Ruth, don't worry. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and then Janelle, the girl who lived with us, once said, Miss Ruth, you have too many rules for me. I would ask back, which one have you followed? The answer is none. <laughs> so I roll my eyes at her. You know, the rules, there are only three rules. Did the Pharisees and Jewish leaders really follow the laws of God that God gave to, gave to them? Or did they actually try to follow the laws that made them outwardly distinct? And then from an article that I read in the Mosaic Law, one of the commandments is to keep the Sabbath holy, which means that Jews were not supposed to work on Saturdays. But to clarify this, the Jewish scholars created 39 separate categories of what work means and within those 39 categories there are many subcategories so to follow the rule of not working on the sabbath there are literally thousands of sub rules to follow including how many steps you can take and how many letters you can write on the sabbath i feel like i can be a perfect pharisee <laughs> Thus, it is understandable standard of the Pharisees that Jesus indeed had violated their laws, okay? However, was this even God's desire for the Pharisees when they were only concerned with the external appearance of keeping the law rather than the inward spirit of the law? As I mentioned earlier, I love following rules. Thus, I read the book of Leviticus a lot of times, probably hundreds of times, as I mentioned before as well. My conclusion that I got from the reading the book of Leviticus was that through the laws, God wants us to love him and to love one another. That's the only conclusion. My understanding of God's word and from his calling is that he never asked me to go around to point out other sin. I'm not called by God to judge people. I'm called by God to share his gospel. His gospel is the good news that the blind can see the people who once lived in darkness will know that he was not merely a prophet, but he is the Lord of Lords. Let, let us see the perspective from the blind man. So the blind man, 
from John 9 knew that the person who healed him was from God and not a sinner because he experienced the healing by himself. Even though I always try to follow God's the rules, but of course it doesn't mean I'm perfect. Janelle always say, I don't feel I belong here in our household. I said, why? Everyone is so perfect except Jerry and her. So she doesn't feel belong. Just like, oh, Janelle. I also mess up sometimes, you know. Don't feel that you don't feel belong here because you are not doing everything perfectly. I still do things wrong here and there. I know my heart and I know the things that I say which sometimes wouldn't have pleased the Lord or other people. However, I also have the comfort to know that Jesus died on the cross and he died for me and you. I know if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And after the blind man was thrown out from the synagogue because he proclaimed to the Pharisees and the Jewish leader that his healer was from God. Okay, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of God? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He saw Jesus, and he believed and worshiped Jesus, and he wasn't afraid to acknowledge Jesus as his Lord. And when I was 13, I experienced God's healing, and I decided to follow Jesus even though my dad was not thrilled about it. It has been the best decision that I have made in my life. So when younger kids come to me, they want to follow Jesus, say, yes, just do it because I believe. You know, they really believe. God not only healed me, but he also uses me to evangelize others. And then from my experience sharing gospel for more than 20 years to mostly college students, I know God works in everyone's life differently. For some people, it only took less than a year to accept Jesus as their personal savior. And for some, it will take more than five years and forever. And then they still did not accept Jesus, but they still come to Bible study. I don't feel discouraged because I know I'm only a vessel used by God to bring the gospel to those people. For some who have received Jesus as their personal savior, it doesn't mean their lives are always fantastic. Some of them still live in brokenness. Going back to my life at Chisholm Park, I have a beloved friend who lives there right now. I've known him for more than, you know, probably 13 years. And then I shared gospel to him years ago and he received his baptism a long time ago. Currently, he lives with his husband it took him years before he had the courage to confide to me about his sexuality because he was so afraid not to be accepted by me. The last thing he, won, he wanted was to disappoint me. And then since his confession, he's still a brother and a friend to me. And then he once said, Ruth, I never feel judged by you. Why should he? Because his sexuality doesn't define him as a person. He's still the smartest, the most responsible, loving, creative young man that I've ever met in my life. 
When I see him, I see a man who needs Jesus not because he's gay, but because there is a brokenness deep down in him caused by a traumatic experience, abuse and health struggles and all kind of things, you know. He needs Jesus, you know. I think of him often and pray for him so that Jesus can be his comfort and light in his life. And we, when Jesus saw me, he knew I needed healing. He opened my eyes. I was blind, but now I see. I also want to see what Jesus sees in people. May God give his compassion to each one of us and let us follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Love God, love one another, and do something. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I know that sometimes it's easy to judge other people and do nothing. Help us that we can be the church that we are not going to compromise, but we are the church full of love and understanding and meet people where they are at the moment. Just like Jesus met the blind man where he was at that moment when he was begging, when he was blind. Help us that we can have the heart of Jesus. that we can be used. And we can share the love just naturally because you have loved us. You have made us seen. Thank you, Father, for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.